So happy to see you. We got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Somebody came to me just a few moments ago and said, four pages of notes, really? That was my daughter, by the way. And so um, well, I promise you, we're not going to read every verse of Scripture that's on there tonight, but I'd like to give you enough that you can go home and look at and study. But um, this has been an exciting study on the book of Zechariah. And remember, this is the book that Jesus quoted more often in the New Testament than any of the other Old Testament books. It's an it's a, it's a inspiring book. It's an encouraging book. But it's also a message tonight that is in particular prophetic about end times as well as a message for their day as well. So we're going to talk about that. And then afterwards tonight, you ought to come join us sometime because we're going to have a Q&A session about everything we talk about this evening. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the goodness of God to us in Christ. Lord, how we enjoyed celebrating Easter and as we contemplate and think about all of those things that happened Right after Easter, Lord, the appearances that you made, the people, Lord, who came to faith, your resurrection appearances. Father, this is such a wonderful time as we journey now to Pentecost. So I ask you that as we study the word tonight, we will appreciate one more time what it meant, the message in the Messiah's coming, for I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Um, first of all, I, let me talk to you for a bit about prophecy, because this is one of those very heavily prophetic chapters tonight. The purpose of prophecy, the Bible tells us, is for edification, is for encouragement, is to help us to be strong in the Lord. It's also to bring comfort to people when they're suffering. Believe it or not, a lot of people that I know, they study prophecy just primarily out of curiosity. But for a lot of our friends that are suffering overseas for their faith, prophecy brings a great deal of consolation. And for the suffering church in the New Testament, the message about Christ's return also brought consolation. And you might be thinking, well, we're in the Old Testament. What's this have to do with the second coming of Christ? Well, I hope you'll see that as we go through the scripture tonight. But we study prophecy, and this is important, and I hope you'll listen to me. We study prophecy not to satisfy our curiosity. We study prophecy in order that we can understand God's plan for all times and so that when others ask us about it, we can talk with them intelligently, we can help them understand what prophecy is all about. Prophecy does this. It lets us know that God exists and that He's active in our world. And I'm glad you're taking notes because I hadn't hit your first fill-in yet, so just hang tight with me there. Take lots of notes tonight because... There's just too many fulfilled prophecies in the Bible of places, people, events, and things that happen for us to just think this was guesswork on the part of all the different authors that God used to give us our Bible. All of these prophetic events are fulfilled so completely that you just have to know that God exists and that He has a plan for our world. God demonstrated also, and this is why I want to bring this up tonight. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning. That screen, that large screen on our platform would not be able to contain all of the zeros. It would not be able to contain all the zeros just to put up there following the number one of all the prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled. In a few minutes, I'll give you a stat that one statistician said that Josh McDowell quotes gave if Jesus only filled 48 of the 300 plus prophecies about that Jesus fulfilled from the Old Testament alone. So I think that's important for us to remember. So here's your first fill in. 
God gave us prophecy to encourage, inspire, and inform, and build our faith. That's why God gave us prophecy. To encourage, inspire, inform, and build our faith. Not so that we would sell our houses and move to Alaska and hunt moose. Okay? Now, that might be good if you want to go live in Alaska where it's cold forever. Your mama dropped you on your head, I guess. But the thing is... People sometimes read prophecy and they get all frightened. Prophecy is meant to inspire us and to encourage us. There are certain people that should be frightened. They should be terrified by prophecy. I'll talk about that tonight. Well, let's look, first of all, the vision of the war chariots in these first few verses tells us God will judge the nations. That's what this is all about. The vision of the war chariot says God will judge the nations. Here we go. Again, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw, and behold, four chariots come out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses. All of them were strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who taught with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country, and the white ones go after them. The dappled ones go to the south country, while the strong ones came out. They were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go and patrol the earth, and they patrolled the whole earth. And then he cried to me, behold, those who go to the north, to the north country, have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Now, the bronze mountains, let's talk about those two mountains. That is probably... Mount, the Mount Olives, Mount of Olives is one of them. And then right between the Mount of Olives and, and I can't remember the other name of the mountain right now, is the Valley of Jehoshaphat. The mountains in his vision, they're bronze. That's an important thing. There are no bronze mountains on earth. I don't think there are any bronze mountains in heaven. That's not what this is all about. This is all symbolic. These four chariots, they're war chariots, they go towards the north. We'll talk about that in a second. But these bronze mountains, this has a lot to say to us because bronze is a symbol of judgment. Bronze is a symbol of judgment. You remember the bronze serpent that Moses made after the people had sinned in their wilderness journeys. And if they looked upon the bronze serpent with faith, then it bore their judgment and they were healed. Those who wouldn't look upon it, they died, okay? There was also the bronze basin in the tabernacle and in the temple that was for the cleansing of sacrifices in order to avert judgment. And then the bronze altar for sacrifice. All of these speak of the judgment of God. Now, when you and I read about the judgment of God, that's what makes Good Friday. That's what makes Easter so special <clears throat> because we know that the judgment for our sins has been placed upon Christ. But it also brings us comfort, especially maybe you don't think about it here in the suburbs of Detroit, but think about those people who have suffered because of their faith. Think about the families that I know who lost their mothers, their fathers. Think about the families that I talked to in Africa who watched their fathers, who were forced to watch their fathers while someone raped their wife, raped their daughters, and then killed their sons, and then let them go so that they would bear the terror of it to tell, tell other people. Now, when you think about that, 
The judgment of our enemies brings comfort to us because it may look like they're getting away with it. It may look like the warlord is getting away with it. It may be like the, the gang leader is getting away with it. But there will come a time where every single one of us will face judgment. But don't be deceived either because God is actively involved in our world today bringing judgment. People who sin bring judgment upon themselves. You know, oftentimes people will ask me when something bad has happened in their life, do you think God did this to me? I go, no, God didn't do this to you. Sin has its own judgment. You know, if, you know let's just use something that all of us can relate to. If we don't eat healthy, if we don't exercise, we bring judgment upon our bodies by poor health, okay? Unless you're just blessed like some people I've met up here who've never exercised and they're 99 years old and they don't have any cholesterol problems. I'm always blown away by that when I meet people like that. My grandfather, for instance, don't try this. My grandfather smoked a pipe every single day of his life. As a child, I used to sit in his lap and light his pipe for him. Tobacco finally killed him when he was 101 years old. <laughs> I'm sure I don't have that genetic ability, but here, here's the point I'm making, you know, is that there are decisions we make. We know they bring consequences upon us. Sin always has consequences. It's the reason, though, the Bible tells us never take revenge for ourselves. Romans 12, 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scripture says... I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. You know what? A lot of people are memorizing promises about healing, promises about God's blessings. I would suggest you also memorize this. God's got your back. And if you ever go through a time like Job did, you're going to need to know that more than ever. Secondly, God's judgment is terrifying to those who don't know him. God's judgment is terrifying to those who don't know him. I was leaving a foreign country. As a matter of fact, I was talking with a man just recently, and he's from a, a foreign country, and he says, I ask you, what do you like about America? He says, the number one thing I like about this country, he says, I can express my opinions without fear. He was from Sierra Leone, and we spent some time together just laughing and talking, and he was a believer, I'm a believer, we're sharing, and he says, I don't have to fear any political consequences. I don't have to fear financial consequences. My wife doesn't have to fear. My children do not have to fear. I can express what I think and how I feel in America without consequences. I thought, that's a powerful thing. I told him then about an experience I had overseas where I got in trouble for keeping a journal because some of my comments were not very flattering towards the government because of how people were being treated. I got in some trouble for that. We fail to take how great our liberties and freedoms are here. But I was reading a book that Keith uh, gave me just read Keith O'Connor, who speaks for us sometime. Most of you know him, but for the sake of you who are online, he spoke last week. Keith O'Connor recently gave me a book, and the author of the book, Sam Storms, used an illustration in there. Do you remember the guy that um, took a lot of secrets from America, then he went overseas and went to Russia? Do you remember what his name was? Lassant? Snowden. There we go. Everybody remembers Snowden, okay? I think Assange was English. Snowden escaped with all of these documents that we had. Sam Storms was talking about the fact that 
it's kind of sobering. I talked with people in the military, and they said what Snowden did was so dangerous. They understood why he did it, but it was dangerous because there were military operations that were compromised. There were people's lives that were compromised that were in undisclosed locations, the information that he was giving away. But they said he understood because what set him off was this. Every Facebook post, every email, every Instagram post, everything you do and I do on the Internet, the government has a record of that. And the CIA, the FBI, any other branch of our government can use that information if they want to. Well, that's kind of alarming for some people. You know, I, I hear it all the time, and I said it to someone when I was talking about the legalities of this a number of years ago. I said, well, I, I'm not, there's nothing posted online that I would be embarrassed of anything that I've written or said for anybody to know about. He goes, that's not the point. He said, we have the right to privacy. Well, Sam Storms brought this back up in this book that, that Keith gave to me, and it's an excellent book, What God Did With Your Sins. And Sam Storm says, you know, as terrifying as, as it is to think that the government has every record of everything that I might have written, said, or posted, he said, it's much more terrifying to think that God has a record of everything I've ever said, of everything I've ever did, in public or in private, that no one else knows about. Isn't that a sobering statement? And so people worry about all of these folks who surrender up information they shouldn't surrender up, but they never stop to think that each and every one of us one day will give an accounting for even the idle words that we have spoken. But having said that, I think it's important that I remind you the good news is this. Jesus Christ took the judgment for all of my sins, for every idle word I've ever spoken, for everything I've ever done. I'm grateful for Calvary, aren't you tonight? I am so grateful for that. Well, let's look again at Revelation 6, 15, because this is what I want you to get. It's terrifying to people to think that Assange or Snowden might have surrendered some information. But the time will come, and Revelation predicts this, when even the kings and the rulers and the presidents of this earth who haven't put their faith in Jesus, they will cry out in terror. Look at this. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, we must give an account for every word. So you say, Pastor, how is this good news so far? Well, God will send the Messiah. And you've got a dramatic picture of this happening in Zechariah chapter 6. This is his eighth vision. This is the eighth vision we've looked at. And you've got a dramatic picture of this happening. Let's, let's read again. And the word of the Lord came to me, take from the, el from the exiles, Hadai, Tobajiah, Jedidiah, who have arrived from Babylon and go to the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Not the prophet Zephaniah that you read later on, but the, 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 uh, someone else's home. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now listen carefully. Say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor 
and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both, the throne and the priesthood. And the crown shall be the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Hillam, Tobijah, Jedediah, Hen, the son of Zephaniah, and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the Lord. Now, I know you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me? And this is where people get bogged down in prophecy and why it pays to do more than just scan this in your annual Bible reading so you can go check. I read my Bible through in a year. But stop and think, what are you reading? What has God led us through? Well, just a couple of things, and you know these things already, but let me remind you. Number one, the king, the crown, and the priesthood were both separate. Our government in Western societies have been built upon Old Testament law. That's the reason that government and church don't overlap each other. The king and the priest, high priest, had separate spheres of, the, of authority. Remember, Saul was judged because he tried to make a sacrifice that only the high priest could make. He was, he was judged for that. Remember, Hezekiah was judged because he tried to take up the golden censer and do something the priest was supposed to do. All right, so it's very important we remember this. Also, in the temple, there, was, there were no chairs. The priests were busy. There was no throne in the temple. And so here you have this vision of these four men who are literally coming to Jerusalem at that time. They're bringing, you know, resources for Jerusalem. They've got to build the temple, but it's, we're looking at the millennial temple. You're looking at a prophetic picture when the high priest is crowned as a priest and a king, and then the crown is removed from his head because he doesn't remain the king. As a matter of fact, there won't be, there won't be a king on, on the throne of Israel for centuries, for millennial. It's because at this time, there hadn't been a king, there hadn't been a descendant of David on the throne for 600 years. So it's important to catch all that's happening here we have a picture of the coming of the Messiah. Look at this. We're going to go back to chapter 3 because you've heard this word, the branch, before. We talked about it in that message. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you. They are men who are a sign. Circle that in your outline tonight. They are men who are a sign. You're seeing a prophetic sign in chapter 6 being fulfilled. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Jesus Christ will be both king and priest. That's what makes Handel's Messiah. And I know a lot of people don't like to listen to classical music, but I encourage you once a year, listen to Handel's Messiah. Get the script, read it. It is so inspiring. It is so encouraging. There is much more to Messiah than hallelujah. You know, there's much more to that. It's just a powerful, I mean, it's just a powerful recitation of prophecy from the scripture. Jesus Christ will be both king and priest because God is just and compassionate. The king was responsible for justice. The priest was responsible for compassion. The priest was responsible to, I'm laughing because my grandson's trying to call me right now. Um, I hope somebody's listening will tell him I'm preaching right now. 
I just totally caught me off guard here. I'm sorry. He's only eight years old, but he's learned how to get around these things. Um, the priest represents us to God. Remember the bronze laver? Remember the bronze altar or the bronze basin, the bronze altar? Remember the bronze... The priest was to represent us to God so that the sacrifices would fall upon, the, the judgment would fall upon the sacrifices. Those all look forward to the coming of the Messiah that would give his life. Jesus gave his life, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and me. So when we read prophecy, and there's prophecy in the Old Testament about it, when we read prophecy and we then come to the New Testament and we see Jesus fulfilling prophecy, it's powerful. It's the reason that I always recommend to people who tell me, you know, I find the Bible to be kind of slow. Start with the Gospel of Mark. Mark is a short book, 16 chapters. It's fast moving. You read about the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, how he calls his disciples together. You read about Jesus casting out devils. You read about Jesus healing lepers, lame people, sick people, blind people, paralytics. You see all of this, and what you get is the Messiah is on the move. Say that with me. The Messiah is on the move. Jesus is constantly, once he begins his ministry, he's constantly moving. God is moving in our midst today. He is not idle. He's not settling idly by. He's bringing everything together. But what you see, and this is important for us, we are not called to support a political agenda. We're called to support a kingdom agenda. Now, that doesn't mean we're not involved in politics. It just means that our allegiance doesn't belong to, our first allegiance doesn't belong to America or France or Britain or China or anybody else. Our first, first allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. That's why when you and I talk about what we do here or any other church does or any Christian does, you're part of something that's cosmic. You're part of something that's eternal. You're part of something that will last forever and ever. Every witness you make, Every good deed you do, every gift you give, it will last forever. Jesus says you're laying up treasure for yourself. Well, let's look at Psalms 110, verse 2 and 4, because I want to bring out a little more here that I think is so important. And what's our time tonight? Where am I at on time? All right. Well, let's just, you can see I gave you some scriptures about how Jesus would be the priest and how he would be the branch. Let's skip down to where it says the branch is a messianic term. The branch symbolizes the humility of Jesus' birth. All right, do you remember when I said it had been hundreds of years since there had been a, a descendant of David on the throne? The reason the genealogy of Jesus is so carefully explained in the Gospels is because, remember, Isaiah predicts it. It's going to come from the stump of Jesse. It looks like Jesse's line is dead. I had a man last week tell me, he says, you know, when I die... There will be nobody else left of my family line. I said, oh, you're kidding. He goes, no. He says, I am the last living member of our family tree. And I just kind of shocked me, you know. I said, you, there's not a sister, you know. He goes, nope, I'm the last living member. I don't know how he knows all of that, but he's just firmly convinced he's the last, and he's a smart man. Well, it looked like, remember, the branch will come forth from the stump of, of Jesse. It looked like after hundreds of years, this was dead. 
And then Jesus comes, unexpected, very humble birth, born to the Virgin Mary, grew up the adopted son of Joseph, grew up, you know, poor, said, I have no place to lay my head. This is why when you read all of these prophecies about the branch, why that is such an important title for Jesus. I give you several scriptures there because of time. I'm going to keep moving right on. Here's the thing that's so important, and I alluded to this on Sunday morning. Shalom, the peace of God, the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of God's wholeness, the prosperity, the healing, all that that means. It's more than the absence of conflict. I would love to see the absence of conflict tonight in Ukraine, wouldn't you? I would love to see the absence of conflict in our inner cities around this world. I'd love to see the absence of conflict in our homes. But God has much more in mind for us than the absence of conflict. He wants to bring the fullness and the wholeness of His love and His grace and peace into our lives. Shalom is what that is. Shalom comes from knowing Jesus as your priestly king. He took the judgment for our sins, but we also obey Him. We also obey Him. God will build his temple, and the reason the temple was so important is because the temple was the place where God manifested his presence. God dwells with us. And who is the temple of the Lord tonight? You and I are. And I give you a lot of scriptures here. I'm, I need to get through this tonight because I want to get down to why I think is, is the closing portion of this is so important. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is building his church. The Bible makes it clear that you and I are a holy temple being built by the Lord. But the Bible also makes it clear that Jesus Christ will one day be worshipped by all nations. There will be someone from every tribe, every nation, every tongue that knows the Lord. Look at, I'm down at number C on your outline. Christ will be worshipped by all nations. Look at verse 15 with me. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord. Friends, what we're looking at tonight is a millennial temple that's going to be built. And I need to take just a moment in the closing minutes of this message to explain that. There would be a temple built. There would be, a, remember, we've talked, we've talk, I've mentioned this several times in the series. Remember how the older people that had survived the 70 years of exile in Babylon, how we talked about how when they saw the second temple built, they wept and they cried because they could remember Solomon's temple. It wasn't nearly as spectacular as what Solomon had built. That temple too would be destroyed. Herod would come along and build another temple. That temple would be destroyed. What you have left standing of the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem is what remains of that temple. There will be, in the millennial kingdom, a temple built. And this is where some people have a little bit of issue with me, but I'm willing to stand on the word of God of this. But there will not be any sacrifices made in this temple. The day of sacrifices is over. My friend, who is a Levite, you know, fully expects that the temple is going to be rebuilt and that his family will be called back one day to offer sacrifices. <laughs> but that will never happen. Because Jesus Christ was the final sacrifice. And to offer another sacrifice for sin would be blasphemy. It would be like bringing works. So what's going to happen in that temple? It seems to be, and I gave you some scripture, but we don't have time to go into it, that the nations of the world will stream to that millennial temple 
because they'll want to know the Lord. And it seems that Jesus will reign there. But in the meantime, the nations of the world are streaming to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ where they're finding grace, they're finding knowledge of how to be saved, they're finding knowledge of how to be healed. Even many politicians are wanting to study the Bible because they want to build a just society. I will never forget in Addis Ababa when I was meeting with a group of politicians there and a whole community that the government was willing to sponsor in order that it could be built upon biblical practices and truths. It was a pretty incredible moment. There's so much of that happening in our world today. So my final point in this message in the minute or two that I have left is this. You and I have got to be more diligent in our obedience to Christ than ever before. We've got to be diligent. Listen to what Zechariah 6.15 says. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now look at me. He's not saying that the millennial kingdom or Jesus' birth or Jesus' death or Jesus' resurrection, he's not saying that it all depends on whether you're obedient or not. He's saying your opportunity to be blessed of being a part of it is dependent upon whether you are obedient or not. Okay? God's plan, God is sovereign. God's plan doesn't depend upon me. If I don't do my part, God will raise up somebody else. Never forget that. God will raise up. If you don't do your part as a parent and you allow your children just to go wild, God will bring another authority figure into their life. Okay? And so we have to be careful that we're, we're always diligent because we don't want our children resenting us when they get older because we were indulgent parents. I can't tell you how many kids have come to me and said, oh, I just wish that my dad had laid down some parameters. I wish that my dad would have disciplined me. I wish that my mom would have said, no, I would have never gotten in much trouble as I got into. You can't expect a 13 or 14-year-old to know that, you know. You can't expect a baby to know it needs to share in the nursery, you know. They bite, they fuss, they quarrel, and that's why we have nursery attendants in there so that there's peace and every baby comes out whole once they go in, Okay. You know, you can't expect babies to know that. But you've got to know that our blessings depend upon whether or not we obey the Lord. It's the reason Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And I can tell you story after story from around the world of persons that have experienced that. Let me pray for you. I'm sorry I've gone so long. I hope you'll study this. I hope if you have questions, you'll write us about it. But you see in this chapter, not only the prophecy of the temple being rebuilt, the second temple being rebuilt, that Ezra will talk about, and that Haggai is preaching about, Zechariah is reaching to the heart of people. But you see also a millennial kingdom prophecies that there are five distinct prophecies I didn't have time to go into tonight that haven't been fulfilled yet that you could see in Zechariah chapter 6 but we will see them fulfilled in the millennial kingdom and that's that time after the church has been caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever this earth has gone through a terrifying time known as a great tribulation we'll be talking about that and God's plan for Israel when we get to Zechariah chapter 12 you don't want to miss any of this it's so good and I'm so glad that you were with us tonight. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for all your goodness and grace. And we ask you that you would be especially with those from our congregation who need a healing touch in their lives. Father, I'm thinking of one tonight in particular that needs a miracle in their life. And I pray that you would reach down, touch them, heal them, 
Bless them, and now bless our time of conversation here together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I'll see you Sunday.